Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into your Victory Monday version of the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. We're putting this thing out early again, so it might be your Victory Sunday for some of you listening. Nonetheless, it's a Victory Postgame Edition. I am pleased to be joined by good friend, OBR colleague, Mr. Browns Mock Draft, Stephen Thomas. How are you, sir? I'm 2-1. and one. How are you, Jake? Hey, man, we're 2-1. and one. We're 2-1, and one, and I call this, <laughs> listen, I used to play small college football. I played at a place called Muskingum. We were okay, but there was a team in the conference called Mount Union, and they mm. were above and beyond anything that we put on the field, and they used to just put up these silly stat games like this against not just us, but other teams. So we played them respectively sometimes, but my first two years, they put up these ridiculous numbers, and that's what we have here. We call this a stat game for the Cleveland Browns, Steve. Let's go through and talk about the lopsided numbers in this game. Are you ready? Let's. 26 first downs for your Cleveland Browns, six by Chicago. Wow. That's ridiculous. First downs, sorry, third downs, 1 of 11 for Chicago, 8 of 17 for Cleveland. They rectified that in the fourth quarter. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Here's where it gets real sideways. 418 total Cleveland Browns yards to just 47 net yards from the Chicago Bears. Wow. Offensive and that's play. on 42 plays. Yes, 42 <laughs> plays. You do the math, folks. It's a little over a yard <coughs> of play. I'm not that's great crazy. at it, but that's crazy. 78 plays for your Browns, 42 for your Chicago Bears. 1.1 yard average gain for the Chicago Bears, 5.4 for the Browns. Net rushing yards. Cleveland ends up, after a really tough rushing start, aided by 31 rushing yards from Baker Mayfield, 203, sorry, 215 net rushing yards, 203 passing yards for the Browns. Although Baker went for 246 on 19 of 31 in a touchdown, the Browns had their own protection issues. I think they gave up five sacks. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong mm-hmm. on that. But those uh, those push the net passing yards down to 203 penalties. The Browns, again, this is where I'm encouraged, Steve. I didn't think they played that great offensively, and I thought they had some undisciplined penalties that cost them two. Seven penalties for 98 yards for the Browns. That's where the Bears got them. They only had five for 44. Yeah, and but if you think about it, uh, the one ticky-tack one uh, that, that I still don't believe was a penalty, 48 of those yards were the pass interference penalty on John Johnson. So uh, in reality, I mean, of, of course, you know, you got to count them all. I get it. But I, I, I will go to my grave thinking that was not a penalty. So really six for 50. Now, you, you, you don't like six penalties, but it's not a terrible number. Anytime you finish an NFL game with – yeah, anywhere from three to six. That's about average, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. average four and a half penalties a game, I think, across the league, something like that. I could be off a little bit on that. So six is a little more than you would like, but it wasn't like a, you know, like the opener against Tennessee two years ago where they had, what, 47 penalties or something like that. So it wasn't yeah. a terrible day in the penalty in the penalty department. That was an all-time terrible penalty game. Um, zero turnovers for either team. So despite Cleveland doing all they did, they didn't get a turnover. John Johnson got ripped off. I thought that was... Again, he extended a little bit, but that never gets called. But, you know, whatever, it doesn't happen and doesn't turn into an interception. So zero turnovers for either team, which it was good for the Browns to go a game with zero turnovers. They were due for one of those. Seven punts for the Chicago Bears, only two for Cleveland. Two touchdowns for Cleveland. Four for four field goals. We're going to talk about that right now. Chase McLaughlin, man, I have some stats to read to you, Steve, and I want to get your reaction to these stats. I threw them out in the Twitch post postgame. Uh, Chase McLaughlin, according to Dan Murphy, who is the uh, personnel department 
I think Dan's in the personnel department. If I got that wrong, Dan, I'm sorry. He joins Phil Dawson, who did it in twice in 2011 and 2012, as the only Browns kickers to make at least two field goals of 50-plus yards in a single game. That's a great stat. The second great stat on a kick that I was like, whoa, Stefanski's trotting McLaughlin out for this? Again, I thought McLaughlin had a better leg than Parkey. I noted it earlier in the year, but I, you know, 57 is a that's a haul it's a long for, way, man. In First Energy Stadium, that's a boomer. And he he drilled it. That is the longest in team history. Sorry, the third longest in team history and was the longest since Steve Cox connected from 60 yards in the 1984 season. So it was also the longest field goal by a Browns kicker at First Energy Stadium, obviously post-1999, where that has been a different element of kicking. So listen, man, four for four, all of the extra points go through the uprights. Chase McLaughlin, I think he might have put together one of the the single best kicking performance at First Energy Stadium we might have ever seen. For the Browns, sure. Uh, Justin Tucker, who had another <laughs> all-timer today, has probably yeah. had several games better than Bastard. that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, for the Browns, I'm probably admitting a Phil, a Phil game, too, Steve. I'm probably admitting like a game where Phil had seven field goals. I'm well, I think it. for me, it's the two field goals that he made, including I think it was a 50-plus yarder in the snow against Buffalo in that 8 yeah. to nothing. Yeah. Those were two of the greatest kicks I've ever seen in the NFL when you take into the uh, the conditions into uh, into account. But, yeah, I mean, and, and I said this <clears throat> excuse me I said this on the twitch show not only did he go out there and drill everything everything was basically right down the middle there was no grazing of the uprights you know Cody Parkey style I'm not picking on Cody I actually really liked Cody but uh, there was none of that sweating as the balls in the air and uh, he just he looked cool he yeah. looked calm he looked like you said 57 yards and people get conditioned to it because NFL kickers are so good anymore. They're like, oh, 57 yard, whatever, whatever. You have no idea how hard that is. It's so far. And if you're off by a, 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 milli, a micro uh, millimeter uh, on your angle when, at impact, 57 yards from away, it, it has a huge difference. So to do that in anywhere in the NFL, but especially at First Energy Stadium, it is incredible. And like you said, it was kind of shocking. I thought for sure they were going to go for it. Uh, I mean, that's that's their tendency. That's the analytical approach. When you're between the 35 and the 45, you go for it. That's what you do. I thought for sure they were. And when Kevin sent him out there, he just went, OK, coach, I got this. You know, get, get the kickoff team ready. We got three coming on the board. It was just no sweat, no, you know, joyous jumping up and down. Oh, my God, I made it. None of that. I just... Okay, this is my job. I'm going to go put this ball through the uprights. Uh, and while we're talking about uh, uh, specialists here, just real quick, another uh, total return yardage. Browns had 103 return yards. The Bears had four total. And that speaks to Demetri <laughs> Felton. I tweeted this out today. He, he came close to breaking a couple. He didn't break any. And people are like, oh, eight-yard eight punt return. Oh, 12-yard punt return. Whatever. It doesn't. No, that does matter. The difference between an eight-yard, 12-yard, seven-yard punt return and a fair catch or, you know, a guy who, who gets tackled after a yard or something like that, man, that, that it really changes the trajectory of the drive, which changes the trajectory of the game. And it adds up over time. You know as well as I do, and most of the people listening are informed fans as well. You, you guys know the difference of five to seven to ten yards of field position on a consistent basis is huge. It, it makes it such a difference, especially as it adds up over and over and over. So if he can give us, 
even if he doesn't break any, let's say he never breaks. Well, I think he will, but let's say he never does. But he's consistently giving us six to ten yards of field position for the next five years. That's we haven't had something like that since Josh Cribbs. It makes a tremendous difference in the game, and it certainly did today on a day when the offense, for most of the first part of the ha- uh, part of the first half, was was really not firing on all cylinders. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's the difference between three extra plays on a drive, right? You know, take three plays to get a first down. Yep. That's three less opportunities to screw something up. It definitely right. matters. So, yeah, great point. I thought Felton's got that. We talked about it earlier in the year. Steve's got the phone booth wiggle, right? Guys, if you put him in yep. a phone booth together, he'll still find a way to make you miss. So he was impressive. He got an opportunity to catch a ball on a, on a wheel route up the left sideline. That would have been a real big play on that first drive. Mm. Big just missed mm. him. Um, but, yeah, like, like listen, Felton belongs in – He's going to impact multiple phases of the game. My data collection counts him as a wide receiver at this point. He's really not getting running back snaps. I think most places are counting him as a wide receiver. So, uh, yeah, he's an effective guy who can step in and replace some of the... They're doing a committee approach to replacing Jarvis while Jarvis is out. But even if he's just returning punts and he's returning punts, he catches the ball really well. Uh, which is, you know, the first thing you need is the guy that secures the football. We've gone through phases of not feeling good about the guy catching the dang thing, first of all. Shout out Jabril Peppers. And then, you know, making a couple people miss and gaining 10 yards is a is a huge thing. So um, couldn't be more with you on Felton. Uh, we'll, we'll switch over. we got two more good stats here for you. 39 minutes and 34 seconds of Brown's possession to 20 minutes and 26 seconds for the Bears, as dominating a performance as you could possibly get on the defensive side. Like we said, the 47 net yards, the nine sacks stand out. Miles Garrett, four and a half for 24 yards of loss. Uh, Jeremiah Wusukormo on a little green dog blitz action where he noticed his guy was staying in. Running back stays in. He says, all right, screw it, I'm going to blitz. And he gets a half a sack. He split that with Miles early. Clowney gets two sacks. Ronnie Harrison gets a sack off of a boot action where he's just kind of sitting there waiting on him. You get a half sack from Jackson and Tack, and you have a nine-sack day, the most for the Browns. I think the most in the NFL since 2015 in a single game, and the most for the Browns. I know Fred threw that out in the post-game Twitch. I cannot remember the most for the Browns since uh, there was a certain year, but it's been a long time. And some other next-gen stats for you, Steve. You ready? Uh, Fields was pressured on 55.2% of his dropbacks, tied for the fourth highest pressure rate by any team in a game since last year. Miles Garrett, seven quarterback sacks on 25 rushes, 28% pressure rate. Jadevian Clowney, eight quarterback pressures on 25 pressure pass rushes, 32% uh, of snaps there. And that was something that Joe Woods talked about, and, and you heard him talk to the broadcast group about it, and Greg Olson, who I thought did a nice job. Greg Olson mentioned, hey, man, we're winning pass rush reps we're winning we're getting pressure we're not converting them today they converted them and that's what you get nine sacks in a game yeah and i think it was a a combination of a few things uh one like we said on the pregame they were flat last week they were not going to come out flat this week and that can have a, a tremendous impact when you're talking about a league like the NFL, where most plays are decided by two tenths of a second and an inch and a half. I mean, like you said, they've been. I mean, we've all seen the numbers. They they've been knocking guys off their spot. They've been they've been getting after the quarterback. They just, <clears throat> excuse me, haven't been finishing it off. And part of that was due to you know I, the quarterbacks that they played, and also due to the fact they're playing so passive, as you noted repeatedly this past week. Uh, in the secondary, in the second and third level of the defense, I thought, and we'll have to wait for the All-22, obviously, and your breakdown, but I, it felt like uh, one of the other factors was they were up closer. Uh, I don't know if they were jamming people at the line and sticking to them and, and you know, really playing, 
you know, press man, but they were definitely closer uh, to a lot of the receivers. Uh, and also, I mean, obviously, Justin Fields is a rookie. Rookies, for the most part, hold the ball longer than they should because they're used to having more time in college. That, that doesn't happen in the NFL. So, sure, it was a combination of things. But when you have a rookie quarterback, a leaky offensive line, and the talent that the Browns have on defense, this is the way it should look. I, I've seen a lot of people, not a lot, I saw a few people uh, on social media say things, you know, try to put it in a negative light, like a uh, oh, yeah, well, the Bears' OL is bad, so let's not get too excited. Or, you know, so, I'm paraphrasing. Something in that, like like the fact that they had nine sacks should be, you know, uh, swept away. It's not that big of a deal. Well, if they're that bad and he's a rookie and all that other stuff, this is what should happen. So why is that a bad thing? I mean, if, if they went out and had, you know, two pressures and no sacks today against a leaky offensive line and a quarterback who holds the ball too long, then, yeah, then you got a problem. But they went out and did what they were supposed to do uh, against an offensive front wall that has not played particularly well so far and certainly didn't play well today. So, I mean, they did their job. And and I don't think we can discount, too. And I think you're probably going to get to this, uh, if not here on this show, you're definitely going to get to it in your uh, in your film work this week, is that they they trust J.O.K. more. He, he was out on the field, I, I don't know, I don't know the snap counts, but a lot. He was out there a lot today. Grant Delpit was out there a lot today. Greg Newsom, before he could left with his uh, calf injury, and let's hope that's not uh, uh, too serious, he, of course, played just as well as he had the first two weeks. And when you inject three guys like that with that kind of speed, we talked about it all offseason, who can do so much, they can do so many things, and so quickly it allows the rest of the defense to, to, to really hone in on specific roles and specific things that they can do in the secondary and, and, and for the defensive line as well. And so just their mere presence, just getting everyone healthy and up to speed and, and all the stuff that we've been talking about, it makes such a difference. It's kind of similar to what uh, the return of Odell did for the offense, just having him there. Even if he wasn't 100 percent, you know, he only had, what, 70 something yards. It was a good return for him, but he didn't you know, have a highlight reel kind of day. But his mere presence opened up a lot of other things for the other offensive weapons. And the, those guys on the defense do the same thing. When you have a guy like JOK who can he did it at least three or four times. He broke on the ball in pass coverage and either knocked it away or immediately tackled the guy. The guy caught it and went right to the ground. When you have that. Uh, on the second level of your defense, instead of watching Kelsey and Mark Andrews run wide open uh, after the catch like that, it makes such a difference. And it gives your defensive line more confidence that they have a few, ex you know, maybe not a few extra seconds, but a few more tenths of a second to get there. And that's what ended up happening today. I think it was a cohesive, complete effort from the defense. Uh, I don't know if they did a lot tremendously different, but they definitely executed it better. And ultimately, that even though it's coach speak, that's what ends up mattering in the NFL. Well said, all of it. I th I think we're going to have to look. We don't get the view. We just don't get the view to know that the TV view sucks so bad that we don't For know. For the if secondary were, yeah, especially, to, right? To, to yeah. know, well, we get all the O-line and D-line. They zoom in on that crap. Well, right. It's not crap. It's good stuff. But we just you need the full picture. You need the full picture. So right. I don't want to sit here and say, and we've had a lot of people ask, like, Joe Woods, totally change it up. Look, I told you so. Chest thump. Boom. Love it. He's better. Like, I don't think he did that much different. I just think that they covered well. They played a more aggressive approach in coverage, which is what we're asking for. I don't think they blitz like crazy. I don't recall a ton of blitzing. We'll see what it looks like, but I don't recall a ton of blitzing. And I think they just, this is, when we talked about all offseason, Steve, about the, they're going to finally have this marriage between better coverage 
coverage and better pass rush, this is the unison of all that, right? This is what the end byproduct looks like. It will not equal 47 total yards from every team the rest of the year. They are going to have leaky games, but when they play teams that they should thump and they put this on tape, like this is exactly what we thought it could look like. So they have games coming up that they can take advantage. It's exciting to see. And this is what, uh, this is the hope the hope everybody thought was out there. This is what it looked like. You could tell, I could tell two series in Steve that I was like, listen, man, get to 13 points, 14 points. You're going to win. They're not moving the ball on this team. They're just not right. You could tell that they were overwhelmed. The defense was pretty ticked off from a week of people talking about how they were the problem when they gave up 21 points. Like you could just, you could tell there was a different level of passion, energy, aggression that showed up. I think we saw them do some things in coverage I liked a bit more, which was finding people instead of finding grass. You're right about JOK. I don't know the snap count number for him. Some guy from PFF has not tweeted that out yet. We'll get it in the morning. But it seemed like they played him a lot more, which does speak to the trust, and not for no reason. Like, he had four tackles, but I would imagine we're going to watch it. And he was impacting way more. I think he had a couple pass breakups. Like, we talked about that half sack. He was... He was a guy where you're like, okay, that 28, that dude keeps popping up. Now I know why we were excited to get him. And uh, that's the stuff you love to see, man. I thought I thought on the defensive side, the pass rush stood out for obvious reasons, but I really thought they got strong linebacker play today too. And I felt bad John Johnson missed out on that interception because he seemed to be everywhere they needed him to be too. Yeah, I, I thought everybody did their job. And I know people are... I don't know if tired of hearing it or whatever, because it, you know, coach cliches become cliches for a reason. You, you say things over and over and over in press conferences because they're true. You know, I mean, we say it all the time. People say, oh, well, you know, the end games in the NFL hinge on four or five plays games in the NFL change on an inch and a half or, or two tenths of a second. But then they can't follow through with saying, well, they just didn't execute they, like they don't believe that third part, that ties into it, right? I mean, if you execute that inch and a half and that two tenths of a second falls your way more often than not. That's that's what it's all about. If you do your, now, there, are there times where the the, the plan is wrong and, and, and the scheme is bad and it doesn't fit the, the, the opponent or it doesn't fit the players that you have on your, yeah, of course there are. We've seen it many, many times over the past 20 years here in Cleveland uh, before the last couple of years with this current team being built. But most of the time, the difference in talent is not that great. The difference in uh, execution is is what it comes down to. And I think you're right. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, and maybe we're wrong. Maybe he changed it up and they went exotic. I, who knows? You know, who knows what, what they actually will actually find out when you dig into the film. But I think what we're going to find is they just did their job a little bit quicker today. They did their job more crisp, uh, more clean. They broke on the ball a half step quicker. They they stuck to their guy a half step closer. Again, I've said it a thousand times this week. They were flat last week. And when you're flat, you're half a step late. That's just that's the natural human condition when your emotion isn't there. Today, from the jump, they were not flat. Even the offense, when they were not finishing plays, uh, or I'm sorry, finishing drives in the first half. But that was, again, that was like, it wasn't like they weren't into it. Like you said, they were bored last week. I didn't get that comp that feeling today. They were just making mistakes at the wrong time. And Baker missed some open guys. And 
you know, half their offensive line was sort of hobbling around. There was a lot of reason, but I don't think it was because they were flat. And on the defensive side, the fact that they were not flat, I think, played a huge part in them being half a step quicker, half a step closer. And that's the difference in the NFL, especially, like everyone keeps saying, when you're playing a team that you should beat on paper like they were today. Again, spot on. Uh, I, I will have more data metric stuff by the end of the night. I will share with you on comprehensive breakdowns on both sides, how much they played dime, nickel, how much on offense they went 13, 12 personnel on 11. Those were their most popular. We'll talk about how many times they used motion. We'll go through all that stuff. Uh, we, we should probably, as we kind of wrap up our initial thoughts, and we're going to have so much more throughout the week. You know that with what we do with the OBR. We will have a, a Monday rewind where we'll get all the data from Pro Football Focus tomorrow and some of the other things from Steve and I rewatching it. We'll be back with you tomorrow. We'll talk about it. Uh, we'll we'll have some all 22 look by that time, so we'll be able to give you more feedback. Tuesday, we'll go deep dive on Baker, look at all 31 attempts. Uh, I think he had like upwards of 36 dropbacks. We'll look at every single one of them that is non-screen related. And then on Wednesday, um, I should have said Wednesday's Chalk Talk too. We'll, we'll do O-line play uh, with Kyle Murphy as we do, and then we'll do our defense with John Stephenson. So you can get all the answers you want. So, you know, that's what we try to pride ourselves on around here is giving you all those answers for why things went the way they went. We'll do that. We got to talk about some specific players, uh, Steve, and, and probably gush about them because today's the day where you gush about the team. You know, they're, they're, they were dominate, dominating. They ran for 101 yards in the fourth quarter, uh, which changed the game, right? It was, I think the score was only 13 to, th- to 6 when you got into the fourth quarter. And they go on this long drive. Two, two drives that we need to talk about. Um the drive before half, that was mm. grown man football Huge. drive where you can bury everything that happened in the first half. And they were frustrated. They two fourth down and shorts on the Chicago side of the field. They were pissed as they should have been. They let those drives slip away. But again, I said, you, you score here and you bury all of it. Again, Donovan Peoples-Jones, man, the guy's ability to track the football along the sidelines, that third down catch when Baker just kind of puts it out there for him. That, I mean, I can't say enough about how well he handles those plays. He's going to keep growing, but as far as an X that you can push him up the sideline and let him go get the football a little bit, I feel really good about him. Yeah, I actually picked that play as my play of the game. In our, yeah. um, um, We have an article we put out, for those of you who are listening, uh, three stars and the play of the game, and the OBR staff picks their three favorite yeah, well, not their favorite, but you know who they thought were three standout players, and then one play that they thought turned the tide or made a big difference or whatever. And obviously today, a lot of people pick Miles and Kareem Hunt, and yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> Miles had uh, you know three dozen sacks, I think. So, but uh, as far as the play of the game, uh, we've mentioned it several times here. I'm sure we're not the only ones who have done this, but they just didn't finish drive. They had they had four opportunities to put points on the board. Four drives on the Chicago side of the field and had, I think, three points, just the 57-yard field goal uh, with, what, a minute and a half? It was after the two-minute warning, and they were deep in their own end. And you could – how many times has has a Cleveland Browns team been in that position? You go three and out, then either there's a shanked punt or you give up a 12-yard return. The other team gets in field goal range or you give up a touchdown, and then you're, you're losing at half to, in a game that you have basically dominated – and you could just feel it in the stadium, that that OIC stuff starting to creep in in the back of everybody's head. Oh, my God, at least get a first down here. At least get out of the half tied, you know. And then he makes that huge play. And let's not underthrow the sell either. Or, or I'm, I'm sorry, undersell the throw. Uh, it was a per, it was a wonderful uh, back shoulder throw. It was it was really Baker missed a lot of throws today, but that 
that was one, one was pinpoint. But what a turnaround, not only secure the ball, get the feet down, get out of bounds. It, it gave them breathing room. It, it let them know that they were basically going to be have the last drive of the half. And now they could get more aggressive on first and second down because you're in a position where if you, you know, if the next series you end up or the next set of three downs, you, you end up punting, you're not punting from your own end zone. So the, it gave them such a momentum shift. It gave them such a, a change in attitude. And Kevin got aggressive and the team got aggressive and the, the stadium erupted. It was a huge huge swing uh, uh, that'll probably get lost in all the other big plays uh, of the day. Kareem's 29-year touchdown run probably going to be end up being the play of the day, really. But I thought in the moment, with the frustration, like you mentioned, mounting at the time, it was a massive play to get them out from under the uh, shadow of their own goalpost. And and he may not end up with 800, 900, 1,000 yards. He may not end up with 75 catches, but that guy's going to make some catches this year, as he already has done and he did last year, that are crucial at critical points of the game. Um, one, because he's going to get the opportunity, because in critical points, guys like Odell and David Njoku are going to draw the tougher coverage and all that kind of stuff. And two, he's just really good. We're going to look back in a couple of years and the rest of the league is going to know what we already know in Cleveland. Him slipping to the sixth round was sixth round was an absolute crime. This guy has the skill set to do what not a lot of other wide receivers in this league can do. And he did it on that play at a critical time and really helped his team propel his team towards a win. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, he's been winning sideline vertical routes. You hope he keeps expanding that and becomes a, a more all-around player. I think it's there. He's a guy that, you know, through the duration of his rookie contract has a real chance to be a difference maker. Again, just like Demetric Felton, a six-round pick. You know, him and Nico Collins, I think Nico Collins for Houston is going to be really good, man. And you're going to mm-hmm. look back on those Michigan days and be like, those guys were on the same team? And they did what? Right. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, um, we also would be remiss if we didn't talk about Odell's first game back. We mentioned, I mentioned pregame 20 to 50 snaps. According to Pro Football Focus tweet, he was at 51 for the day. Now, a large part of that is the Browns are on the field a ton. Uh, they opened the game. Remember, if I, as I said in the pregame, well, they probably won't use them during 13 personnel plays because it gives them a break. Well, what do they do? They come out the first two plays as 13 personnel, and he's on the field. He's the wide receiver. <laughs> it's like a kiss of death. But uh, anyway, he he was good. Man, he looked comfortable. He talked about post game. He, he you know his legs weren't under him. The emotion got to him more than he thought it would. But but it, it's the first step in a long recovery that the, this guy's had. First step in the in the actual getting back on the football field. And man, I. 
a couple of plays along the sideline where the ball was just a little more inbound, gave, inbounds, gave him a shot, he would have ended up with more. But nine targets, you love targeting your best receiver nine times. You gave him five catches, 77 yards. And I just, I'm encouraged, Steve. He looks like the wide receiver one that they really need. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that been the question this whole time, right? Uh, when Odell comes back, is he going to be Odell? Is he going to be that guy from the highlight reels uh, you know, that we all remember? Or is he going to be... Um, he's been injured since he's been here. I, it's you know, I, I, it's not a knock against the guy. It's just the way it is. He played 2019 with a torn groin uh, last year. He was a lot better than a lot of people think last year before he got injured, but a serious ACL injury. And for a guy at his position, that's not an insignificant injury. So I think he was probably, what, 95%, 90%, 95%. And, you know, his game conditioning, which, uh, as you said, he noted, uh, in, in his postgame uh, comments, it, it's going to take a little bit of time for him to come back and be 100%. Plus, he's got to trust the knee. I mean, no matter how much the doctors tell you you're fine, you got to get hit a few times. That's just the way it is, you know, and before you stop thinking about it. Um, so I, for your first game back, when you're not 100%, you haven't practiced, you, you know, you haven't uh, had any live game reps and, you know, they worked together a ton. They did. But it, when you get between the white lines, that's the only time it really counts to go, like you said, nine targets, five catches, 77 yards, 15 point far average and could have been more than that. Like you said, if a couple balls were placed just a little better, I, I, other than maybe breaking one or catching a touchdown pass, I'm not sure what more you could have asked for from 13 in his first game back because not only did, like we said a couple of times, not only did he create uh, opportunities and space for himself, I, I absolutely 100% believe part of uh, Kareem Hunt's big receiving day, part of these other guys' big receiving days underneath was due to the fact that 13 was out there and they were shading safeties towards him. They were, I mean, you could see it a couple times on the replays. It, we'll have to wait and see exactly but they were committing resources his way, as we have talked about all offseason, and that opened up things for other guys. Sure did. Sure did. He was uh, everything I was hoping he could be in his first game back, and the snap count numbers were good. And it's too nice to hear himself reflect and say, I got a long way to go, right? You know, he's got he's to uh, get his legs under him, get his win back. Game reps matter, right? You can't really replicate mm-hmm. those in practice. They talk about game speed all the time. And uh, he, you know, the enthusiasm, the energy, the the emotion uh, from from Odell and, and and hearing him in the place he's in personally and all of that's great. It's just really cool. And hopefully he continues on this path and they they reach levels that they reached last year. And he has a chance on the brightest of stages to make a play. And I think that him and Baker will grow more comfortable. I thought I saw some very encouraging signs. I did not feel like they forced him the ball very often. There was one throw where I thought it felt forced. The ball Jalen Johnson got his hand on on the right sideline. But for the most part, it felt very flow of the game. He was a slot guy. He was an outside guy. He was a motion guy. I liked it. I liked it all. So we'll close with 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 Kareem Hunt. I would say, Steve, this was his best collective game as a Cleveland Brown, impacting both phases and really the guy we remembered from Kansas City. And I think Kareem's been great. I, this is not to, to, to harken back to times he was not as a member of the Cleveland Browns, but when he was with KC, he was getting more league-wide praise, right? Like he was getting more rushing title winner, all of that. He's overshadowed by Nick, and justifiably so in Cleveland because Nick is an unbelievable football player. But 10 rushes for 81 yards, highly efficient rushing today, 
eight yard per carry numbers, 29 yard touchdown, making two people miss one at the point of attack, one downfield to take it from an 11 yard run to a 29 yard touchdown. Also being an active part, a huge part of the target share today with seven targets, six catches, 74 yards. I continue to say if they use him in the passing game like this, it has a chance to change the trajectory of Baker Mayfield's career to get him more cognizant of checking down and letting guys like 27 finish plays for him, make his life easier. This was the Kareem Hunt, like, oh yeah, this guy's as elite as we should be talking about him game. At least that's what I thought. I'm curious your end of it too. Yeah, 155 total yards on a day when, and I said something about this on the Twitch show, uh, and and somebody said, oh, like like I was cutting Nick Chubb down or something like that. All I said was Nick wasn't the dominant Nick that that we know and expect, and you know maybe that's on us as fans. We just expect him to be superhuman every single. He was fine today, 22 carries, 84 yards. But for Nick Chubb, is 22 carries, 84 yards the norm? No, I don't. Th- I don't think I'm out of line in saying that he was not the Nick that we all expect today. He was fine, but he wasn't superhuman. And in that, stepping into that, I don't know, vacuum is the right word, but stepping in and picking up that slack was 27, 155 total yards. And uh, he has this knack. We talked about it on the Twitch show. He's one of those guys that always falls forward. So wherever he gets hit, you're going to get another yard. And then he also has this weird thing. And I'm not the only one who's noticed this. He has this strange ability to fall on top of the guy that's tackling him and then roll forward for even another three quarters of a yard. He does it so so often. He's a unique faller. I don't know what other way to say it. He really is. It's weird. And like, I don't know if he does it on purpose. Like if it's, it's a... It's a skill that you acquire and he works on it. I don't know, but it happens so frequently that I'm like, okay, this is getting weird. You know, I mean, I enjoy it as a Browns fan, but he does it a lot. And so I'll close with this and I don't want to start, you know, because, you know, contract situations and do you pay it running back is just an exhausting uh, topic, especially in Browns Twitter. But we have all sort of assumed that this was it for Kareem Hunt in Cleveland at $6 million <clears throat> with Nick Chubb signing his new contract, all the other contracts they have to figure out a way to do or not do, all the extensions and everything. We, we know all of this stuff. We have just sort of assumed they're not going to trade him, so stop that. But we had all sort of assumed in the back of our head that this was probably his last year for several reasons. One, they're probably not going to commit that much money to him. And two, he might, he's probably wants to go to a place where he's the feature guy again. He wants to – and he's trying to prove that he still has that in him. We might have to rethink that. If this keeps up, you know, I mean, I don't know how you make the contract work with paying two solid running backs. I, I don't know. But if there's a guy who can figure out a way to do it, it would be Andrew Barry. And maybe – he, you know, sees and goes around and finds he's not going to get that Le'Veon Bell contract. He's not going to get that Zeke contract. He's not going to. So he can get, you know, I don't know what, $2 million more to go play for, uh, you know, whoever that, that might be lucky to be 500. Or he can stay here for another six. Let's say they re-up him at the same time. Uh, uh, that, that That's what they work out. It's another $6 million. And he can come here, have half the workload, extend his career by another three or four years and compete for a championship. He may decide that this is where he wants to be. I, you know, I don't know. We may have to rethink that if his production and his usage continues like this. Now, it's only the third week of the season. You know, 14 games from now, we may go, you know what? No, there's just no way to keep him. But if this keeps up, if he has half a dozen more games where he's the guy like this, 
we may have to rethink that by, by the time next uh, offseason rolls around. Yeah, you just have to skip some costs other places, right? You can right. you can find ways to finagle money. I, again, there'll be capologists who jump down our throat. We're not doing that right now. I don't really care. And right. if you come at me with it, I'll just ignore you. But it's uh, he's one of their best football players. So, again, you can find ways to keep your best football players. And I don't think we're talking enough about how these two can extend each other's careers. It's right. not getting enough right up because – the reason they love the two of them together is because they don't have to Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb every year. There's 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 a there's right. a genuine balance that can help these guys extend their career. So, you know, and this is what they want to do, Steve, as we talk we, we wrap the bow on this thing. The fourth quarter, 18 rushes, 101 yards from Kareem, right. six for fifty and a touchdown, Nick seven for forty-two. Uh, and then, you know, you close it that way with 101 yards. Baker gets a play action to Harrison Bryant that could have been a touchdown. So Baker right. could have been a set of one or three for 15. He could have been two or three for, you know, 45 yards and a touchdown. And that's just who they want to be, the body blows method, right? The the Bears are good defensively. I really think they are. They have a great they – their box in terms of their edge guys, middle guys, and they're missing Eddie Goldman, which mattered. But they played the Browns well. They held the, the duo – to 68 yards through three quarters. That's a real right. challenge, and they did it. But that's the body blow method, right, where we just, you know, say, screw it. And I know the Bears might have been beat down by how bad their offense was playing who went for negative 17 yards in the fourth quarter on one of eight throwing. I mm-hmm. get it. But their punishing people in the end of games is like the Cleveland Browns recipe that they want to follow. And 101 yep. and a quarter on the ground at the NFL level is spectacular. And again, Baker is just a tick far on that ball to Bryant, and you put up thirty plus again. It's uh, I listen. I didn't think they played well offensively for four quarters. I just thought they put it together at the end a little bit, but they didn't play that well up front. They didn't play that well uh, at the quarterback position. We'll talk more about Baker. He did. He was good enough. He was fine. We continued. My my goals for Baker are not good enough. I want Baker to be elite. So I always give you the frame of perspective. Uh, here's how he gets to elite. And I just, he would tell you, and I know he did already in the postgame comments, I missed a couple throws I should have made, and he would have gone for 350 again. So everything the Browns want is right in front of them. They're 2-1. and one. They want another game in dominating fashion, a double-digit win. Uh, they got, you know, real opportunity in Minnesota next week to go out and get another W and then go into a game, a stretch against a tough a couple of uh, really good quarterbacks in uh, in LA with the Chargers, and then in Arizona when Arizona comes to visit Cleveland, and then you get that Thursday night primetime game against what's shaping up to be a pretty good Broncos team. So important stretch coming. I feel really good about the Cleveland Browns right now that they haven't played their best football yet at all, and their winning football games could easily be three and zero. The right track, Steve, very talented team. We'll hope Greg Newsom injury news comes back on the on the minimal side uh, of that, but. For the most part, although the Baltimore thing took it away from being a perfect day, a great day of football. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how um, some people are just unhappy. I I don't know how. Are are there things to work on? Yeah. Can they get better? Yeah. It's only the third week. Every team can get better. Uh, Championship teams are rarely playing at championship level week three. You know, that's just... The natural progression of any any organization is like that. So can they could they have could they have won today by 30? Yeah. Uh, should they have won today by 30? Probably if they finish off a few of those drives in the first half, I think it's a completely different uh, uh, final score. Uh, could, should they be three and oh, I think they absolutely should be three and oh. 
But, you know, they're two and one, man, and, and they're leading the division, which, as we have said, is, is the most important thing. They have proven to the, themselves and to everybody else that they can slug it out with the best of the best in the AFC in their yard. And then they proved they can win a game when they don't have their fastball. And today they proved they can win a game when they shoot themselves repeatedly in the foot on offense in the first half and win it by 20 points. So uh, they're a team with enough talent on both sides of the ball that the other teams have to be perfect to beat the Browns. The, the other teams have to play their A game to beat the Browns. And I think that is the biggest overarching point that we as fans need to take away from this first triumvirate of games. Yes, there's things to get to work on. Yes, they still need to get healthy. They got guys out. They're going to be critical pieces. Jarvis Landry's out. Uh, Jedrick Wills is hobbling. We don't know about um, uh, Greg Newsom. Anthony Walker is still out for a few more. I mean, they still haven't even had their full contingent out there yet, and they're still winning games that they should win and winning them by comfortable margins. So after the Chiefs game, what we said was if they take these next three that they should, then they go in a couple of tough games if they can split those. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at going into the Ravens game at a minimum of eight and three, I think, barring some sort of catastrophic injury. If you can get to nine and two, that's, I think, where you should be. I don't think 10 and one is out of the question, but that's a tough thing to ask for a team to win 10 games in a row in the NFL. It's just hard. So uh, while we want to focus on the, the negatives a lot, we want, especially in film breakdown, because the film breakdown shows you where things went wrong, um, I think what we should focus on is the general overarching point that for the most part, things are going right and they're winning games. And this is, a, this is a critical point for Browns fans to understand because it's hard for a lot of us to, under, to grasp this point. We're allowed to be happy. It's okay. You're, you're allowed to just enjoy a victory Sunday and a victory Monday. Tuesday, okay, take off your fan hat and put your analyst hat back on and start digging in and look at the point places where they can get better and what they need to do if they go up against a better offensive line and all that kind of stuff. That's absolutely, I'm not saying not do that. I'm just saying let yourself be happy for 36 hours. It's okay to do it, especially when your team just won a game by 20 freaking points. Be happy. They're good, Steve. We keep saying it. They're good. We'll see just how good they are. But I can tell you right, right now they're damn good. So last little nugget here uh, to talk about your Demetric Felton stat. Andrew Gribble, Browns reporter. Felton had 103 punt return yards today, Steve. The Browns had 115 total for all of last year. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Not to mention the penalties that wiped out a couple of other ones. So, yeah, six-round right. magic from Andrew Barry. This was fun, Steve. As usual, my friend, thank you for joining me. I appreciate your time. Anytime, especially on a victory Sunday. All right, guys, thanks for joining us today, and hopefully you enjoy your Sunday, Monday, whenever you listen to this podcast. Browns wins are getting to be a thing that we're getting used to, but you can never take them for granted, so enjoy it. Have a great day. Check out our Monday Rewind, our Tuesday Not the Same Old Browns, and Wednesday Chalk Talks that are coming up. Plenty of coverage of just how this win went down, everything behind it. We will cover it like no other site will, as usual. Check out the Three Stars article. Fred Greetham's angle is up as well, so check that out too. Have a great Sunday or Monday. Again, whenever you listen to this, victory version. And as usual, go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.